Hello, I'm Felicia Vereen, always known as Fee. Hey, Fee, and I'm your girl, Sharita Three, better known as Red. And, and we, we are Inspire Her, the Total Woman podcast, a new podcast all about uplifting you. Yes. Because, friends, face it, you are awesome. We'll be chatting up about topics we love to talk about, all the things we as women must juggle every day and the issues we complain about. opportunity to interview one of our um, alumni. I am super excited. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited to have our guest also. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get started by reading her uh, bio, which is a lot. (laughs) She is is doing some great things, guys. I'm telling you. Rochelle Hunter Mosley is a certified trichology practitioner and master stylist. She is ambitious, resilient, and compassionate. Rochelle Hunter Mosley is a mother of two and has worked diligently her entire life to become the successful businesswoman she is today. Rochelle is the proud owner of Salon 804 in Harlem, New York City. Rochelle grew up in the Blackwell Public Housing Project community in Richmond, Virginia. She remembers her home life as being dysfunctional, with not many positive adult role models around her. Luckily for Rochelle, it didn't have to be many. She just needed one. For Rochelle, that person was Miss Sharonda Robinson, who inspired Rochelle to be the successful person she is today. By the age of 17, after having attended Richmond Technical Center, Rochelle became a licensed cosmetologist. In just two short years, Rochelle was a bona fide stylist with a client base of 60 clients a week. This newfound independence afforded her the opportunity to move into her own place and buy her first car. Not bad for a teenager from Blackwell Projects. In 1992, she began her career in modeling. Throughout the 1990s, Rochelle's tenacity and determination paid off allowing her to rise through the rank and secure the feature cover model position for Essence Magazine 25th anniversary calendar in 1995. Rochelle's stunning images made her a sought-after model that afforded her the opportunity to appear on beauty companies Revlon and Soft Sheen Carson's dark and lovely hair color packaging. Over the next few years, Rochelle used her versatility and bright personality to transition her focus to acting. As an actress, Rochelle appeared in several hit music videos, such as Naughty by Nature's Feel Me Flow and Heavy D's Got Me Waiting. After feeling a sense of accomplishment from achieving her initial life goals, Rochelle ventured back into entrepreneurship. 
She returned to cosmetology in 1997, established Salon 804 in and established Salon 804 in Harlem. Rochelle is a strong advocate for breast cancer awareness. In August 2012, Rochelle created the Girls Mentoring Group, Turn Smart. There is no stopping Rochelle's continuous pursuit of success. She says, and I quote, I understand what service is all about, and I am here to serve. I feel that I don't have to worry about what I'm getting. It's about what I'm giving. I'm just following God's plan, and this is his plan for me. Whatever he lays on my heart, I just move with that. This is not my design. I'm just following a path. I'm going to ride until the wheels fall off. Welcome, Rochelle. Hey. Thank you. I'm sitting over here feeling like Eve. I'm like, who's that girl? <laughs> <laughs> That's you. It's you, That's girl. You, girl. That's you. I'm girl. Like, oh, my goodness. That, that, but, but while you was reading the bio, I'm like, who's that girl? Don't get me to sing it. You know I'll, I'll break out in song in a minute. Always. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. my goodness. Break out in a song. That's you, girl. That is you. Yeah. Oh, girl. oh, my goodness. That is awesome. That is That's awesome. I, when I read it, I got chills. So, Rochelle, tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up in the inner city. It appears to be your inspiration throughout your life. Well, absolutely. You know, I grew up, you know, if anybody know about Blackwell Projects and in the south side of uh, of um, Richmond, you know, the, so, uh, the Blackwell Projects don't even exist anymore. I remember I drove through. Um, I drove through there thinking I was going to ride down 15th Street. That's a street I grew up on. And it wasn't there anymore. And, you know, talking about, you know, at this point, you know, I'm 50 years old now. So, at, you know, growing up, talking about dysfunction, we didn't, I didn't understand dysfunction. I thought it was love. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. It's disguised as love. Yes. <laughs> you know, I thought it, I mean, I thought, I thought, I thought it was love. It was just the way our families were. And just looking at, you know, the dynamics of the relationships in my family. It's like, you know, uh, my, my grandmother wasn't, she was very loving, but not a very affectionate, you know, woman. And I see how her, uh, her, if I, if I could say her, her attitude and the way she approached love, she never really said, I love you. Mm, you know, she, right. she, she showed us that she loved us and we'll say, I love you, grandma. And she'll say, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and I see how that shows up generation after generation. And what happened to what, what made me change my mind about how I feel about love is my I think my son was maybe about nine years old and he came into the salon and he hugged and kissed everybody in the salon except me. So one of my clients was like, you didn't hug and kiss your mom. Oh, she don't like that. She she don't like hugging and kissing like she like she. She, she doesn't do that. So when I want hugs and kisses, I come to the salon. So that changed wow. me. It, first of all, it put a, you know, it twisted a little knife in my heart. And I was like, you know, just because that's how I grew up, I understand that my kids need something different. Yep. And from that day forward, it forced me to be more affectionate with my kids. It forced me to say, I love you every day. If they say, I love you, I say, I love you back. 
if they give me a hug, I embrace them back, you know, and, you know, that was a turning point in my life. And that's just, you know, had a lot to do with the dysfunction and the way I grew up, wow. you know, so I can call it dysfunction now at this age, because I understand that, you know, like we need it in all times of our life, not just as a kid, but even as a as an adult, you want to be embraced, you want to be hugged, and you want to feel loved. So I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Now, mm-hmm. did you have any insecurities and doubts about yourself growing up throughout your career? And how did you overcome them? Did I? <laughs> well, first of all, I was dark skinned. And then I was tall. And then I was thin. And I did not have a lot of hair. I didn't have long hair. So... When Naomi Campbell came out, that was one of the best things that ever, that could have ever happened to me. Because when Naomi Campbell came out, everybody wanted a dark skinned girl, everybody wanted a tall girl. You know, so the light skinned girls is put, I'm sorry, Sharita, but the light skinned girls, <laughs> y'all got put on the back burner when Naomi Campbell came out. Yeah. So, you know, I was super insecure about, you know, my height, my skin color. You know, I had extremely low self esteem. And I don't know if you guys remember um, Cameo Models. That's how I got started. Oh, yeah. wow. So I went to Cameo Models, and I did not go to Cameo Models to model. I went to Cameo Models because they had a class for, um, you know, self-esteem, um, to help women, you know, with poise and, you know, presence. And I went there for self-esteem. I went to the self-esteem class. So once I finished the, self- the self-esteem class... Um, Renee Lacey, you know, she said, Rochelle, had you ever, you know, thought about modeling? And I said, no, absolutely not. Like me, I'm too dark. I'm too tall and I'm too thin. So no, absolutely not. (laughs) And she said, well, why don't you just give it a try? How about, how about if you come, come, you know, come to a class and just, you know, try it out and see how you like it. So I came to the class, of course, you know, I tried it out. And I, you know, I was like, okay, you know, still wasn't convinced that I could actually do it because I was, you know, just so insecure and my self-esteem was in the toilet. And she, I wound up finishing her, um, her, her, her modeling classes. And she said, Rochelle, we have a convention that we go to called the Models of the South. And it's in um, Hilton Head. I think it's North Carolina, South Carolina, down in, down, down there. Right down to Hilton Head right now. Oh, get out of here. Yep, so right. we went, so she 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 took me to Hilton Head and all of the scouts from New York come down to this convention and they're looking for new people. I won model first first model, models models of the South, and all the New York scouts wanted me. So I'm like, now at this time, I had gold teeth in my mouth. I so I, I wasn't even doing a full smile. I had my gold crown in the front, my gold on the side, you know, all this going on. Damn. So I was smiling, but I was never showing my teeth because of the gold teeth. And, you know, back then we were going to the dentist to get our gold teeth on. We wasn't just popping them in. Right. So they were on, on. So long story short, a company called Grace Marco was very interested in me. And she told Renee Lacey, she said, you know, I think Rochelle has it. Like Rochelle has what it takes to make it in New York City. I was not convinced. So graduated from high school. 
So that was just a conversation with her name was D. Edelstein at Grace DeMarco and Renee Lacey at Cameo Models that I had it. And, you know, I wasn't convinced. So I said that I did. So then at that point, I fell in love with, okay, what I wonder what show business is like. Because I wasn't going to college. I, I wasn't. When I graduated from high school, I wasn't fitting to go to no more school. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. Let's let's try this show business thing since they say I got something. So I tried my hand. I said, okay, I'm going to try my hand in show business. So I went to Vegas because I wanted to be a show girl. Right? Wow. Okay. Yeah, I went to Vegas, tried out to work at the hotels. D. Edelston called me and told me that they want to see me in New York City. And I said, well, I'm in Vegas. I'm about to be a show girl. I'm going to be <laughs> in the lights. <laughs> She said, I'm going to ask you to please give us a chance and come to New York and see me. So I have nothing to lose. I'm 21 years old. I was like, okay, cool. So I went to New York and I visited her and it was, it's history. You know, I got so many jobs. I was like a beauty girl. So I did a lot of the face stuff, the teeth stuff. You know, I wasn't a runway girl because I wasn't really tall enough. I'm only five, eight and a half. But I did a lot of the uh, commercial print stuff. And I made a lot of money doing it. I did it for like 15 years. Wow. So, um, yeah. So we girl, saw I remember you. sitting in marketing class with you. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just thought you were so beautiful in class. Those That beautiful dark skin, them big old dimples. I just thought girl. you were absolutely beautiful. And to hear you say that you were insecure about the way Super. you look. It's like, what? Super insecure. I mean, and I mean, going through school, you know, just very, very insecure and very, very insecure because I'm because of my skin. Yeah. Thank wow. you. Wow. I appreciate yeah, you're it. Beautiful. Okay. So tell us about Sharonda Robinson and the role that she played in your life. How does she inspire you to be the woman that you are today? Okay. So Sharon Robinson, um, she's a family friend. Okay. And she was a she she is a hairstylist. She's still a hairstylist now. And she just took me under her wing. Like she saw me, she just kind of fell in, fell in love with me. And she said, she said, Shelly, you know, Shelly's my name at home. I want, I want you to come and help me out in the salon. And I said, in the salon doing what? I'm like maybe 13, 12, between 12 and 13 years old I was. And she said, you know, you can come in and sweep hair and, you know, answer the phones. You know, I could use the help or whatever. So... At this point in my life, you know, everybody asking you, you had seventh or eighth grade, what you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to be. So Sharon has me helping her and I just fell in love with hair. I wow. fell in love with her, uh, the chemistry with her and the people, the chemistry with her and the products and just the whole, like the whole operation of it. I just loved it. And then at that time, you didn't have to be licensed to work in a salon to help someone. You could do whatever they actually do. It was no big deal. And so Sharon had me, you know, doing roller sets. She had me doing wraps. She had me doing, you know, a lot of different, you know, hairstyles in the salon. So when then when I go home, I'll try try these hairstyles out on my friends and family. And I'm, so I started doing hair in the kitchen. So then I got to ninth and 10th grade, and, you know, the counselor at, you know, the high school was like, you know, Rochelle, would you like to take cosmetology? And you can, he said, she said, you qualify for, cos for cosmetology and you would do half a day in school and half a day at the Votech. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Because then fear set in because you don't know. Okay. So they're going to take me on a school bus, take me to another building and, 
you know, and at that point, you know, my, my mother was, you know, going through her, you know, her issues with her addictions and stuff. So I, um, I had to make the decision on my own. Right. So I said, Sharon, they, 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 they're telling me that I can go to cosmetology school and I can go while I'm in high school, but I don't know if it's a good idea and this and this. So she pushed me to go ahead and get my license. So to go to the, take the classes and get my license. So they were asking me for $50 cause I needed $50 for my kit to do this class. So Sharon gave me the $50. They gave me the whole kit. And I wound up graduating from high school with my cosmetology license and my diploma. Wow. $50. Yeah. $50. Like people paying fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 to go to beauty school right now. I, I went to beauty school for $50. Wow. $50. Yep. And Sharon yep. gave it to you. She started you out. She, she, she started, started me out. She started me out and she, she's the one who got me interested in hair. I had, I had no clue about what I wanted to be. I sure ain't want to be no doctor, no lawyer, no, no. I was like, I don't like none of this stuff. Man, so I don't I know what I'm going to do. It takes some talent to be a beautician. I mean, you know, that stuff is not easy. It takes some talent. And it, let you me, know, but let me tell you something about everything. Cause the beautician ends up being the beautician, the counselor, <laughs> yes, yes. And I yes. told my client the other day, and I have these epiphanies all the time. I'm like, so these people are sitting in here trusting me with these scissors in my hand, a razor in my hand, all these different chemicals and mm-hmm. all this stuff. These all these people in here are trusting me to make a good decision for their hair. I said, this shit is amazing. It is. Yep. And you it's know, amazing. Yes. That's and what I like, say. It's amazing. Yeah. And everybody <laughs> thinks that they can do hair. No, doing hair is, you got to mm-hmm. tell me how to take care of my hair, putting All the right that. chemicals, what's best for my type of hair type. Mm-hmm. It's just so much that goes mm-hmm. into it. So I don't minimize nobody's profession. It's you know? a lot that goes into it. And I tell <laughs> I people know. that I'm mentoring all the time. Hair is about chemistry. It's about the chemistry with the products, and it's also about the chemistry with the people. And if that chemistry is not in alignment, you're going to constantly have problems. Mm-hmm. Yep. Constantly have problems. Yep. We're talking about mentoring. How important is it for young girls and even women to have positive mentors in their life? It's super important. And, and if you don't have those, those, those people that you can look to, up to in your family, we have this great thing. We didn't have when we were, when we were growing up, Felicia and Sarita, we didn't, we didn't have Google. They have this great thing called Google now that you can basically Google anything that you want. And I just feel like a lot of our young people do not use their smartphones to be smart. They right. use their smartphones to just have one up on each other, mm. which is something that I wish they would be more open to using their smartphones for what it for what it was designed for, right? Mm-hmm. And we, as a people, is that we? Uh, and I know I only know about black people because I I don't have any white friends. I only know about black people, and we as black people do not want to be called a mentor. 
We don't want to be called that. We don't want people looking up to us. And the reason why we don't is because we don't want to, we, we don't want to make mistakes. Like we fear making mistakes. And then if, if, if you label me as your mentor, I'm going to look at that. And when I say, um, I mean us as a people look at that as if these are people that I have to mentor, then I'm not allowed to make a mistake. That is untrue. That is untrue because everybody's home. Everybody's human. And everybody go through their trials and tribulations. And it is okay to make a mistake. And just because you are being, whether you want it or not, whether you want it or not, a lot of us are in that realm of mentoring people because we have structured our lives in a way that people are looking at us. People are checking out what we're doing, what we're wearing, what we're eating, you know, what we're drinking, people are looking at this constantly all the time. I could talk about something that's so profound, right? And right. I would have somebody on my live that would say, where you get those glasses? That what you got? Well, I'm crying my eyes out about whatever that, mm. you know, thing that's hitting my heart at this time. And like, I love that necklace. Or your nail polish is so beautiful. And that not acknowledging anything that I'm singing. The mindset. Right? Because people, people want to emulate. And one of the worst things in the world, what is his name? Nightingale. I can't remember his night. It's, uh, it's something Nightingale. That's his name. And he said, the worst thing in the world is that nobody wants to be themselves. Everybody want to be like somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's one of the worst things that we have adopted in the world today is that nobody wants to be themselves. Everybody want to want to do what everybody else is doing. N nobody has, everybody has great ideas outside of what everybody else is doing, but they are so afraid because they have to conform right. to what everybody else is doing. You know, and that puts us as a people at a disservice because now we're not able to experience a lot of other things because everybody just want to do what everybody else is doing. Everybody is conforming to what everybody else is doing. Nobody's bringing anything new to the table. Right. You talked about marrying your dreams. Yeah, I was talking about that. Like, don't marry, your, don't marry your dreams. Just date them. Because what happens when you date your ideas and not marry your ideas, it allows you to to open yourself up to move and shake every time a different a different idea pop in your head if you're not married to that first idea you can move and shake and move on to the next absolutely and it's just like a marriage or anything else like when you're married and you're like oh man i, I see him over there he's he look interesting and then you look at him and he's offering all these other things that your husband ain't offering but now you marry you all hooked up you can't do nothing with that over there you, know, you ain't supposed to. You, you're not supposed to. But at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, that but listen though, the thing that caught your eye was something that you're not getting in your marriage, and it's the same thing about your ideas, right? This idea I've been, I've been, I've been working on and and, honk, and honking on this idea for 15, 20 years, and you don't have two feet in the game. And the same thing with any other marriage. If you don't have both feet in the game, then you're going to be, you're going to have the, the wandering eye. But you don't you have that. two feet in the game. I'm going to give you some cheers for that one. <laughs> I'm going to give you some cheers for that one. You can say that again and again and again. 
come through sound effects. Definitely right. follow Rochelle on her Instagram. Right. That's like, what happens. And it, yeah, and it, it happens with everything in life. You got to have both feet in the game. You got to come 110%. Because everybody's talking about this 50-50 thing, right? And same with our jobs and whatever else we want to create in, the, create in our life. You know, 50-50, everybody's saying, oh, I want 50-50 relationship. I don't. I want 100-100 because I need 100% of you and I'm going to give you 100% of me. Because if you giving 100, I'm getting 100, we got 200. Why are we going to settle for 100 when we get 200? Exactly. Right? And then the thing is, is that we, a lot of us are just so hooked up on what our parents told us what and what how our grandma did it and all that. Think about it. These people gave us only what they knew. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know because you don't know. Well, it ain't been invented yet or, no. or developed. Yet. Right. You don't know. So you can't go back. Oh, no when better. I was growing up. They no, you cannot. Because when, when we was growing up, we only had what we had. and Because yeah. that's what all our parents had. Right. You know, and right. they gave us and they did the best they could. And that's the thing that put me in a place of forgiveness with my family. And, it, and I say, you know, my mother was 16 when she had me. So I'm like, and I'm now I'm, I'm mentoring girls that, 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 are, that are 16. I could not imagine one of those girls being my parents, somebody that's, that, that's going to be responsible for me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine that. So I had to I had to put my plate myself in a place of forgiveness with my mom because I'm like this lady was only 16 years old. Mm-hmm. What did she know at 16? How was she going to take care of me by herself at 16? Yeah. Right. Like these girls do not have what it take to be a mother at 16. They still babies. You are yeah. they babies. They don't even know their bodies are not developed. And, and you know what I just learned to, I didn't understand my friend, he's, he's a psychologist and he told, cause I told, I was having some issues with my son. My son is 25 years old. And he said, how, no, first he asked me, he said, he said how old is your son? I said, he's 25. He said, well, Ro, you know that your front, frontal lobe is not completely closed until you're 27. And if you have, when your frontal lobe closed, that's when you are able to make good, solid decisions. And until that happens, you know, my son was not going to be able to really make good, dis- solid decisions because of his frontal lobe. Like, it's a real thing. So I said, wow. yeah, he's 27. Wow. So I said, you mean to tell me I got two more years of this shit? <laughs> <laughs> Girl, my daughter's my daughter's 16. Imagine how many more years I got. Wow. Well, I got a girls are different. Years. Girls develop different than boys. Because Ooh, I'm going to so. tell you, my so. daughter is, she's very much more decisive than my son. Mm-hmm. Like she's, you know, she has, she's on it, on it, on it, on it. It's, yeah. it's different. But boys, yes. that frontal lobe got to completely close before they even have an aha moment. Mm, you're right you're so right. you we got time we got we got i mean i got two more years of this shit <laughs> so. on one i got five and on another one let's see he just turned 26 man listen so hopefully he's there but what happened was once i got the knowledge i was able to have more patience with my son because my patience was running very thin because mm. i'm because i was confused 
I'm like, what the hell is going on? Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So tell mm-hmm. us about tell us a little bit about your modeling career and how you felt being a role model to the other young girls who grew up in like a similar environment. What advice yeah. would you give or do you give to young girls who admire you? And you talked a little bit about it. Well, I mean, this the modeling career was really amazing. I did a lot of traveling. I went to London. I stayed, you know, for a while in London. You know, I um, I did a lot of uh, work in New York. Um, I traveled doing music videos. And at that point, when I was doing music videos, it was right. I got out the game right before women started taking their clothes off. I got out right in the nick of time. Mm-hmm. And I was always a principal in the videos that I that I did. You know, I worked with Naughty by Nature. I worked with Heavy D, Eric Gable, Joe. You know, the the list go on and on. The, mm-hmm. the videos that you know that I've done. Um, it was a really amazing career doing those music videos. And then as far as my my print work is concerned, you know, the Essence uh, 25th anniversary poster was definitely a highlight of um of my career because it was um susan taylor's husband's poem um and it was and so basically i was the model on the poem so the poem ran down the side of um of the photo of me which was freaking amazing wow um and honestly to be super honest with you and i think it was what it was 95 90 95 96 maybe when I did the dark and lovely box, I was done. Oh. I, that's what I, I came here for that. I said, oh, I'm, I'm a dark and lovely, so I'm good. I'm done. I don't need to do no more. You know, that's, that's how I wow. felt because I, I, I had accomplished it. So, but between that dark and lovely box and then I also wanted a billboard, you know, with all the work that I did for the for over the 15 years, my son wound up getting a rock aware billboard. So I was like, oh, I did that. He did it. I did it. So right. <laughs> I was cool with that. So my son had been modeling. I had my son modeling from five years old. So and he did. The, I think he was like six, maybe six, seven years old when he did the rock aware billboard. It was on 42nd Street. It was on um, 125th Street. It was a, a huge billboard of, oh, wow. uh, of him. So I, I was so proud of him. So, so, so proud of him. I said, we did that. That's how I felt. Like, <laughs> we did that. So, I, you know, I had, if he had the billboard, I had the billboard. So, yeah, I think you were probably that first person that you know personally and seeing in the videos. I'm like, I know her. Yeah. You know, telling everybody, bragging about, that's Rochelle, that's Shelly. You yeah. know, <laughs> I you went know, to I school had, with her. Right. <laughs> I had no idea what to really expect. You know, even being up here, going on auditions and, you know, and stuff like that. You know, I had still had no idea what to what to really expect from the jobs and where they were going to be shown and, you know, cause I'm, I, you know, I grew up looking at magazines and, you know, we watching MTV and yo MTV raps and all this stuff. And I had no idea, you know, what that lifestyle was really about. So when I got introduced to it, you know, I was like, wow, like I'm up here doing the damn thing. Like I'm doing this thing. Yeah. Like for real. Yeah. You really yeah. were. It was cool. Yeah. And so, just right. like being picked out of millions of girls. Like it's like thousands of girls I on these. Know. On these go-sees. Yeah. The same little girl that thought she was too dark or too mm-hmm. short and too skinny. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. So listen, 
Okay. I know how I felt when I walked into the store and I saw your face on the box. I was like, wait, hold up. That's Rochelle. I know her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how did you feel when you, when you first saw that box and saw your face on the box? Like, this is, like you said, I'm done. I'm, I, I done did it. But when they first showed you that box and you were like, I'm on Doc and Lovely. I'm, I'm on the box that all of us pick up to use for our hair. So you know we're going right. to see how did the it little just, girl from Blackwell feel? I felt, well, first of all, I was afraid. My, my first feeling was fear, to be honest with you. My first feeling was fear because I was just like, what is everybody going to say? And it, like, what are they going to think? Wow. You know, so it wasn't even like when that dark and lovely box came out. The thing is that I was proud, silently proud because that's what I came to New York for. I wanted to be on the Dark and Lovely box. But let me tell you the backstory behind that Dark and Lovely box. Now, I was not chosen initially for that. I wasn't initially chosen for that. They chose someone else. Something happened, whatever. I cried like a fool for like two or three days. My feelings were so hurt. And I wind up getting a call back asking me, was I available? My agency called me, asked me, oh, Rochelle, you know, Dr. Lundy called for you. You know, are you available? Am I available? Of course I'm available. You know, <laughs> I didn't know what happened to the other girl or whatever, but I wind up getting it. And my first, and then after we shot it and we did everything, you know, whatever. And my first initial thing is that what are people going to think? You know, uh, I feel like, Am I going to be leaving my friends? Is this going to turn over and be something else for me? Because when we were doing that shoot, it was a great big production. It was nothing small. It was the probably one of the first big jobs that I ever did before I did the Essence thing. And then before I did Revlon, because I did the, the boxes for, for Revlon also. It was, one, it was the first big, huge job that I've ever done. And I was just like, oh my God, like people are going to think that I'm not going to be down to earth. People are going to think that I'm, you know, that I forgot where I came from and people are going to think, you know, I was it's all into what people are going to think. Oh no, girl, we were proud. We That's were proud. That's what was on my <laughs> mind. We were proud. And I just went super hard in just trying to be super down. You know, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. super mm-hmm. I'm still Shelly. I'm still this person. I'm still Wow. Yeah, I get it. Initially, I had that feeling. Now, was I proud of myself? Yes, because I came here to accomplish that. I came to New York City to accomplish that. Oh, wow. There's a difference. We were very, very <laughs> proud of you, even though you didn't know yeah. it. We didn't send you up signals to let you know, but we were very, very proud of you and still very proud of you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, Shelly, what inspired you to create your beauty salon and naming it 804, Salon 804? Well, in, at first, my salon was called Brenda's Daughter because my mother name is Brenda. Mm. So Rob was like, bro, I can't keep answering the phone, Brenda's Daughter, because people keep asking me, am I Brenda's Daughter? I think we should change, I think we should change the name. So, so Rob said, I think we should change the name. I said, okay, so what do you think? She said, he said, well, let me think about it. So he came back. He said, let's just do Salon 804. I said, Salon 804? I said, oh, 
Okay. It says still VA. It's still you. Like 804 and 212. I said, oh, okay. So 212 is, you know, New York to um, Eric. Right. Mm-hmm. So 804 and 212. So that's what we said. So we're going to be Salon 804. So that's so Rob changed Brenda's daughter to Salon 804. And we start operating as Salon 804. I wind up trademarking the name. I wind up, you know, opening up my, you know, my first um, salon um, on Fifth Avenue on 133rd Street in Harlem. Rob changed that name. All <laughs> right, go Rob. I love that name. It's catchy too. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. All right. So I know what a yes. master stylist is. I know what a beautician is. But what is a trichology practitioner? Okay. So trichology is the study of hair and scalp disorders. So basically, uh, I went to a college. It's the only college in the United States that give you a diploma for trichology, which is the National Institute of Trichology, and it's in Stockbridge, Georgia. The owner and founder is um, Connie Judge, and that's the only place you can get a trichology diploma. Now, there's a lot of people out here that are doing trichology certificates over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, oh, yeah. They're doing, you know, charging thousands of dollars. Wow. These, thousands of dollars for these certificates. Now, I am a certified trichology practitioner, and I have a diploma for it. It's so, so in-depth in the chemistry of hair and hair loss it's not possible for you to get the education in a weekend. It's just not possible. It's not. It's not possible for you to get that education in a week or a month. You know, I went for two years, you know, and it's a lot of education. So I can do blood type testing. I can do um, scalp exfoliations. I can do, um, I can identify what's going on. I do not diagnose. I can definitely identify, right? I can do uh, pH testing. So I can do all this stuff in the salon so we can get to the root of what's happening to your hair. And I went and I decided, so at first I wanted to be a dermatologist, right? So my do- my, um, <laughs> my, sister, my sister-in-law said, bro, you know a dermatologist is like a doctor, right? And your <laughs> ass is old. Ain't no way. (laughs) She said, why don't you be a trichologist? And I said, what's that? So when she told me about this was like seven, eight years ago. She said that word was the first time I heard that word. I said, I don't even know what it is. She said, look it up, look it up and see what it's going to take for you to be a trichologist. I did the, I did, I did my work and I found numerous certifications. The only diploma I found was in Stockbridge, Georgia. She's the only one qualified in the country to give you a diploma in in trichology. The only one. These other people is faking. It's the 52 fake out. Mm. It's the 52 fake out. It's it's no way that you can get. Yeah. And then, you know, I have a lot of clients that's been with me since the beginning. So I've had my salon in, in Harlem for almost 30 years. So these wow. people are getting old. These people are getting old. So these people are 60, 70. I think my, my oldest client is 89. Wow. She 89. So my oldest client is 89. So these people been coming to me for 30 years. So they was already old. 
You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I have a, I do have an older clientele, and then I got people that was coming for me, coming to me in their twenties, and now they're fifty. Now they're going through menopause. They got alopecia. They're going mm. through all these different things with their stress because, you know, we went through the pandemic. Everybody losing their hair, you know. So everybody trying to understand people, high blood pressure, diabetes, mm-hmm. all this medication. So a lot of people don't understand that medications is taking their hair out. Mm-hmm. The number one reason why people lose their hair is stress related. Yes. You know, and they, we don't want to admit it. We don't know that we stress. It's kind of one of those things you don't know what you don't know. You don't know that you're wearing your hair out. You don't. You don't. You don't know. You don't realize it as that. You don't see it as that. Right. So the, I ask people, "Are you stressed?" No. It's not possible. You're not stressed. We still exactly. in a pandemic. We're in a pandemic. We still yes. in a pandemic. Yes. People think everybody we is stressed. We're not. We're not. I'm still We're wearing not. my mask. I still wear mine too. People, I people on the plane, they have on their mask. I'm confused. It's crazy. So, what's so special and unique about Salon 804 that just keeps people coming back? Me. I, I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I would tell you, All right, I need some sound effects. I'm going to tell you, but I told you, yeah. when I told y'all, y'all know that hair is about chemistry. Yeah. Right? And right. you have to have the chemistry with the products and also with the clients. Mm-hmm. Like right. you really have to connect, be in alignment with these clients because you're dealing with a lot of different attitudes. You know, you got to think about it. You just saw 17 women that's going through menopause. Yeah. Everybody, everybody that I see in most days are over 50 years old in between 45, I'm going to say 45 and 60 years old. Right. Everybody is in menopause, including me. Including and me, me. too. You know, me too. Me. So it's like <laughs> it, it takes a it takes a level, a certain level of patience. It, t- it takes a certain level of, um, you know, be, uh, uh, actually being able to listen because I was not always a good listener. So that's why I opened myself up to audiobooks. I listen to four or five audiobooks a month mm. just so I can use my listening muscle that I can listen to what people are saying. And I'm not just diving in to be super save a hole because I just know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Let me listen to what is what, what what's the problem with this client before I open up my mouth. I used to dive into it and not properly listening. That's maturity right. and growth. Listening is very very listening is more important than talking. Mm-hmm. For real, right. so yes, true. You can learn so much by. Listening to people, listening to people. I have dived into so many different, different situations that I didn't have to dive into. I didn't have to be so in depth because I did not listen first. And half of the time, what I dive in to do is not even what they asking for. Mm. (laughs) You know, I'm doing more than what the people asking for. Mm. Mm. So I have learned to really chill out. And listen. Right. What does the renewing experience mean? Well, I came up with the renewing experience because I feel like every experience that you have with me is is something different. It's something fresh. It's something new. If I'm, you know, if I'm talking to you about whatever situation you're going through, 
you know, it's a renewing experience with me. You know, if I'm changing, you know, your look, that's a renewing experience with me. I feel like, I feel like if, it, if anybody get, if I give you the privilege of being in my presence and talking to me, you're going to have a renewing experience. It, it's a rebirth. Yeah. All right. and, so me and Fee yeah. getting one too. We getting yeah, one. Yeah, that's how I feel. And it's like a rebirth. <laughs> We're getting a rebirth with Rochelle. A rebirth. Yeah. It's a rebirth. And you, and you know what? And I used to be so afraid to use these words to describe myself. And it's only because I was afraid to shine my light. And I mm. used to dim my light so much. Because I didn't want people to be intimidated by these words or what I'm saying or who I am. So I would use smaller words and I would, you know, just kind of, you know, dim it and, and, and chill and hide. And now, you know, I'm just like, you know what, you know, this is this is this is this is really who I am. And if I'm shining too bright for you, put your sunglasses on. I know that's yeah. right. As a woman, sometimes you, I mean, not even just as a woman, I'm sure maybe men go through the same thing, but Sharita and I have, have talked and it's like a lot of people say, oh, you bougie. You think you all of that. You think this, no, you think I am. And because of what I give off, I'm not the same person I used mm-hmm. to be. And if I was, that would be a problem. Absolutely. You know, if I don't evolve. And you're not supposed to be. And, and you know what? And, and it's another thing, and I hope that the listeners get this one too. You know, people are gonna say, you know, you hear people say, "Oh, you don't, you know, don't forget where you came from." And sometimes I want to forget. Exactly. If you <laughs> go back to where I came from, your ass want to forget. Trust that's me. real. That's true. <laughs> that's true. You want to forget because if I remember, it's gonna be just as painful for you as it as it was for me. Right. Right. Like, do you really want to relive that? You really want to? You really you, do? You you don't want to go back there? You really want to go back there? Exactly. Sometimes, exactly. sometimes people get stuck. They don't feel like they can move on. When in all actuality, you have dreams. You have you have things that you're thinking of, and and, and people, friends tell you about the things that they think of, and you're like, well, why don't you work on that? Oh no, I can't. I can't. Why not? Mm-hmm. I just fear. I can't. And, and but let me tell you something too. A lot of people live in a fog, right? And when I say and when and, and this is what I was talking about about the whole Will Smith and Chris Rock thing too. You know, when you live in a fog, and when I say fog, I mean fear, obligation, and guilt, right? And mm-hmm. when you're living in fear, obligation, and guilt, and you get to that point where basically it's time for the bubble to pop. You are not in control of how you're going to react because fear has taken over. I don't want to be afraid no more. Obligation has taken over. I don't want to be obligated to anything other than making myself feel better. The guilt, I haven't been here to help anyone. I haven't been here to protect anyone. I haven't been here to um, to guide anyone. I haven't been in, I haven't been present for the people that I love in my life. So when the fall clears, things happen like what happened to Will and Chris. Right. The fall cleared for him in that moment. So, because I I read his book and what I saw on that stage was 
14-year-old Chris protecting his mom from his father. That's what I saw. 14-year-old Will. And you would only... You mean Will? Will, Will. Okay, Will. yeah. I'm sorry, Will. Oh, what I saw when Will got on that stage and he 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 acted out like that, what I saw was 14-year-old Will. Mm. I didn't yeah. see Will Smith, the actor, the superstar. That's not who I saw. I saw trauma. And when that fall clears, you're not going to be in control of when it could kind of like when you're driving and you're driving through the fog, you don't know when it's going to, when it's going to let up. You don't know what's on the other side of the fog. You don't know how long it's going to last. Right? right. But when it, but when it clears and shit looking, shit is looking real clear to you and it, okay, the skies and opened up, it's time for you to make a different move. And that's what happened there. And I think that's what happened to a lot of people is that we live too long in the fog. I like that. I like that a lot. We live a long time in the fall. We also don't are not equipped with the tools to get out. Mm. Don't understand that you're supposed to put your put your um put your um your high beams on. We don't get that. We we don't understand that the high beams are not on. That because part. we don't have the tools to get through the fall. That part. Yep. 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 I agree. I totally agree with you. We as women have to work and take care of the home and do all of that stuff. And with your career, how are you able to balance being a mother and having the career that you have? I'm going to say it was super hard. I'm not going to lie. It was super hard. Um, I was a single mom twice. When I say twice, because my, my, my kids were nine years apart. Mm-hmm. So, and we got two fathers. So I was single mom twice. You know, my... um. You know, my ex-husband is very active in my daughter's life right now, but it was a lot of years that he wasn't here. And I, what I learned how to do very, very well is I learned how to delegate. And I had to learn how to delegate very fast because I was used to doing everything. And I used Google and I tried to, you know, explore, you know, what it's going to take for me to get some help, you know? So I, um, I learned about an all pair. I don't know if you guys know what an all pair is, a lady that comes from another country. She lives in your house and she helps mm-hmm. you with your kids and you invest in their education for 18 months and they go back to their country. Wow. And that's, I, that's the first thing I did. I did an all pair. I had two nannies and, and I was in a place where I felt like, and I never really explored any of this stuff before I was a single parent. Because I, first of all, I thought that I could not afford it. I was like, no way I'm being able to afford it. You know, that's for rich people. Rich people got nannies. Rich people got all pairs. Rich people got, you know, rich, this is a whole rich people thing. Rich people, kids go to private schools, you know, because I was intimidated by the words, not by the experience. I've never had the experience. So now I had to, I was pushed into a place where I had to have the experience because my job had my time almost a hundred percent of, of the time in order for me to take care of these kids. I'm, I gotta be bumping and curling some hair. So I got to figure out who's going to be at home with these kids. So I really started to explore different avenues that would help me out with my kids. So it was super hard. But I'm going to tell you, once I got help at home that I could trust and that 
because I, I was not about taking my kids, picking my kids up after work, bringing them home, bringing them back. I didn't want that. I needed somebody in the home. I felt like that would best serve me. Right. So I just feel like, you know, any any single parent that is out here, the first thing in our brain that we say is that we can't afford it. It's mm -hmm. too expensive. It's for other people. But you have to explore how much it's really going to cost for you to make this happen because it just may be that thing that you need to have somebody in the home. And actually, it's cheaper to have somebody in the home than you going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So, I mean, it was for me. It is hard. And thank God you had the resources right. and the know-how and Google mm -hmm. <laughs> to get out there and do it. Let me it. tell you something. Google, Google, Google has really saved my life for for real. You know, we grew up with encyclopedias. We had to wait for the people to come. You're right. I said this was my girl right here. And I showed her some encyclopedias. Child, listen. Girl. Listen. And I say, I tell my daughter that all the time. Google is the best thing that could have ever happened to the world. Yes. Me. Yes. It's no excuse for not knowing anything. Mm -hmm. So, right. of all of your many awards and accolades that you have achieved, which one was the closest to your heart and why? Like, which one really, you know, was heartfelt to you? You know what? I'm going to tell you which one was really heartfelt for me. When I graduated from the Trichology Institute, right? My, I graduated salutatorian on my class. Wow. Okay. So let me, but let me tell you a funny story. I was not even going to finish the class. I wasn't even going to take the class. When I got to the school, we had to take an, an exam to basically place us. You know how they take, give you an exam to place you in the school, right? Just to see how you learn, what, what kind of environment you need to be in, whatever. Mm -hmm. I was intimidated by that. Then she gave us the, uh, the syllabus. The syllabus, I think it had maybe, shoot, 50, 60 essays we had to complete within these, these 18 months, right? I said, oh, absolutely not. I said, Miss Connie. Mm -mm. <laughs> I said, Miss Connie. <laughs> yes, I, I said, Miss Connie, I can't do this. I said, I haven't written. I said, I graduated from school in 90. What I graduated in 90? In 1990. Mm -hmm. I said, I graduated oh, no. in 90. I said, I have not written an essay in over 25 years. It's no way in the world that I will be able to write an essay. I cannot do it. I can't do it. She said, Rochelle, is it that you can't or you won't? Right. Think difference. about it. Mm. Is it that you can't or you won't? So I'm crying in there. I'm upset. I called my girlfriend and I told my girlfriend, I said, listen, I can't do this. I said, the lady said I got to write 60 essays. There's no way I'm write 60 essays. I can't do it. So when my girlfriend said, well, Ro, did you um, read the material yet? I said, no. She said, well, how do you know you can't do it? I said, I just can't. I just can't. I just no way. I can't wrap my brain around it. I just kept saying I can't. She said, listen, let me, let me tell you something. I said, so how about this? He said, she said, I'm going to help you because she was in education. She said, you write the, you read the material, you write the essay the best way you can, and I'll just fix the essay. I'm not going to write. I'm not going to read any material. So whatever you write down, if it's fucked up, it's going to be fucked up. 
That's what she said. (laughs) I need you to read it, read it and write it the best way you can. And I'm going to help you, you know, fix it so that it's readable, whatever. So I wind up doing better than I thought I could do. Right. So wind up graduating Mm -hmm. salutatorian in my class. And the question that uh, uh, that Connie asked me, she said, Rochelle, what were, what were your expectations of this um, of this course, of getting this diploma? I said, I didn't have any. She said, Well, I wonder what your life would be like if you had some. Mm. Mm, that's deep. Oh my god! Wow. And I cried like a holy fool. I <laughs> cried, 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 and it hit me. And that was, that has to be the, one of the best things, one of the best um, certificates I've ever gotten, you know, graduate salutatorian in my class. I barely graduated from high school. So it's like, <laughs> 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 so that was, that was, that has to be the best when, when like the best. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, that says a whole lot because You've gotten, when I looked at your bio, you've gotten all kinds of awards, but the one that you worked the hardest to overcome was the trichotomy. And it meant Mm -hmm. so much more to you than the ones that people gave to you because of the way you looked or something you did. It It was your hard work that you saw yourself do that you felt the most thankful for. That's, that says a lot. That says a lot. Very, 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 very thankful. You know, I and I, I call Connie, you know, periodically and I just thank her so much, you know, for that opportunity. It was just an opportunity for me to grow as a person. You know, being at that school was like, you know, I was like I was what, 42, 43 years old when I went mm-hmm. back to school from high from the nineties. I was like, Oh my God, you know yeah. I could be able to do this. You know, I just was so intimidated. You know, it was a lot of younger people there. I was the oldest person in the class. You know, it was just, it was a lot. You showed off and showed out, though. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, though. So, so this scared, this scared woman now, because you're a woman, and when, at the time that you had to write those essays, was scared, mm-hmm. scared to write an essay. But it's my understanding you got some books. So, what inspired you to right. write? Books. So you went from paragraphs to books. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's another thing that happened by accident because uh, my client, Chanel Cooper Sykes, she's a life coach. You know, she was coming to me for maybe a couple of years and she was like, bro, you ever thought about writing a book? I said, Mm-mm, not at all. I uh, never thought about it at all. She said, well, why not? I said, I just didn't. You know, I'm, I'm not a good writer or whatever. She said, but you have experiences. She said, why don't you start writing about your experiences. So I started with um, how to do your hair at home. Wow. I started with that. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went from how to do your hair at home to life after beauty school. And I just started writing and I didn't even know what, what, what would happen to me in, you know, younger. I was maybe when I moved to New York, you know, of course I had two, two boyfriends that read my diary and it really, um, you know, ta- tarnished my love for writing because I feel like when you write, when you read someone's diary, it's like reading someone's mind. Mm. And a lot of things that 
that we will write in our diary. We really won't talk to people about. We just want to let it, we just want to release it. And so I had my diary read twice. And so I kind of lost the love for writing. I just stopped writing altogether. And I used to write a lot. I used to keep, you know, books and books and books of diaries to write every day. And so when she brought it up again, you know, she said, well, have you ever wrote? Did you used to write? You know, I said, well, yeah. And I told her why. And she said, you know, I don't think that you should let those experiences steal your joy. I think you have something to say. Right. And, you know, once I was valid, I just stopped writing altogether. And um, so when I wound up picking up the pen again and I got two books out of it. There's nothing so, wrong with that. A lot of people have a story that yeah. they don't know that people need to hear. So I commend you on mm-hmm. that. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was Chanel Cooper Sykes. And that's another thing, you know, people, you know, finding your mentors, you know, and I always tell people, you do not have to use the word mentor because a lot of people are afraid of that word because it it carries a lot of responsibility to a lot of people. Right. What else would you call it? I wouldn't call it anything. <laughs> I, I would not call it anything. I would just follow. I would learn. I would, you know, have dinners with you. I would, you know, just make sure that I'm in your space, in your personal space, as much as I possibly can. Tell mm-hmm. us about your philanthropy and what drives your passion to give back to others. Well, well, first of all, when I moved to New York, it, it was my ex-husband that started me on the philanthropy thing, the giving back to the community. You know, I'm not from Harlem, so, you know, I didn't understand what Harlem needs. I didn't understand, you know, my husband giving out bikes and turkeys and he wants me to cook dinner for these people. He <laughs> wants me to do all this stuff. So I'm just like, Lord, because <laughs> I didn't come from that. Like we didn't right. do that in VA. You know, we trying to feed our own damn family. I know that's right. Damn Harlem. <laughs> so... <laughs> And buying them all this this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So, you know, I really learned philanthropy through him, you know, and I, and I just was obedient. So what I said to myself, I said, you know, God, I don't know where this path is taking me, but I I will be obedient. Whatever it is that whatever it is that you're pushing me through or whatever it is that you're pushing me to, I will be obedient. Mm. And so, you know, it's been history since, you know, since since then. And then um, even with my Turn Smart group, I have, you know, a mentoring group, Turn Smart, Turn Smart, Better Decisions, um, Healthy healthy Choices, and where I mentor, you know, young girls. So what I did was I started with the age of the age group of my daughter at the time, which was not, my daughter was nine. So it was basically nine to 12 year olds. And as she got older, the group got older. I started mentoring, you know, older people. And that's when I came up with you know, when she got 15, you know, 14, then it was like girls 14 to 16. And so looking at these girls and the things that they didn't know, even things about hygiene, you know, things about, you know, dating and, you know, um, just, you know, a lot of personal stuff where I feel like a lot of parents checked out, Mm. you know, parents, you know, a lot of them checked out. You know, right. and, and and I could say at one time I felt like my my mom checked out, and I and I'm a, and and I'm I'm just going to be very honest and transparent. If I had 
the balls to do it, or if I had the, if I could be that girl to check out, I would have checked out too. This shit is fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think we've all oh, thought about it that once, once or twice. <laughs> I'm going alone. I'm going through it now. <laughs> I don't. Ha- I just didn't have that in me to check out on my kids. I couldn't do it. You know, right. it, it happens to me. So I couldn't do it with my kids, but I can. It put me in a place of forgiveness where I'm like, you know what, mom? I forgive you for it, sis. Because if I could do it, I would do it too. I'll leave these little niggas high and dry. Then <laughs> <laughs> for yourself. I will leave- Figure it out. Look, every like my father say, everything is figure outable. Yeah, do you? You, good. Do you. you got this. <laughs> Listen, you figure that shit out. Like. <laughs> <laughs> They think they know everything anyway. You think you ain't know? Yo, look. Figure that shit out. (laughs) Think about it, though. They think they know everything anyway. Exactly. Figure it out. I mean, but that you know what? You said it, but we be thinking it, so I think it. I'm yeah, like, we be yeah, thinking we it. Thinking I that feel you. Yeah. I wanted to drive off. My mother, let me tell you something. My mother was like, deuces. I'm out of here. I'm going to do what I want to do. Ah. Uh, and that's it. And, you know, and, and and my thing is that I think that she loved us, but at the end of the day, she just did not have the wherewithal. She didn't have the bandwidth to really um, deal with, you know, children. She started at 16 years old. Yeah, right, but it's strong. great that you broke that chain. Mm-hmm. You did. Yeah. 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 So one of the patterns that I hear is that there have been people that came along in your life in the times that you actually need them. And I, you know, a lot of people call it whatever you want to call it. I call it God. God put people in places during different points of your life that you needed. They put Sharonda in your life. They put Connie and they put the other lady, the guy in your life that changed the name for Salon 804. And Mm -hmm. all along your life, they have, God has been putting people in your life to help you. For you to for you to, mm-hmm. to to give you some advice, um, and 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 obviously people that you trusted, you know, people that you mm-hmm. actually listened to that could uh, say, "Hey Rochelle, how about you do this? Or how about you think about this?" And you say, "Hmm, you know what? Yep." And mm-hmm. there you go. You climbed another ladder. You climbed another step, and it helped you along the way. People need that, mm-hmm. and, and we don't think we do. We don't think we do. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna take a minute to talk to our um, people that's listening. A lot of times we don't think that we need people along the way. We think, oh, I got it. I can do it. Or I don't need nobody help. Or I don't want nobody to know that I need help. That's the problem that we have. And especially, and I'm just going to say this, in the Black community, we always think that we don't need anybody else. We don't want people to know what we're going through. We want to hide in our little corner. I don't want you to know I'm struggling. But when you open up, when you open up to people and you're around people that you can trust, watch, just see what they're going through, you never know what might happen from that. Don't be afraid to open up and let people lean into your life and give you a little bit of help. That's okay. You can do that. It's not a problem. And nobody's going to, and if somebody does think differently about you because you opened up and said, I need help, guess what? You don't need them in your life. And that's just that. 
That's some good that's advice. So, mm-hmm. so what advice would you give to other women who want to become an entrepreneur? Well, the first bit of advice that I would give is to definitely take a business course. I did not take a business course. You know, I just went in and I free fell through this whole 25 years. I free fell through this whole thing. I do not recommend you do it. A business course is very, very important if you want to become an entrepreneur. I was paying people two, three hundred dollars to make a spreadsheet. Oh, wow. Because I didn't understand the difference. I pay. I had an accountant when I first started out paying her a thousand dollars a month to make sure that this, that the bills were paid in the salon. She had that. She had my stuff set up on automatic. She wasn't doing shit. Girl, why you ain't calling me? Collecting your money. Because <laughs> so, I didn't know it was. This was twenty some years ago. <laughs> this is twenty some years ago. And also get yourself those books. Books are very, 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 very important. But this is what they say about black people. If you want to keep something away from a black person, put it in a book. Because we ain't open. Put yep. it in a book. Get yourself connected with some really, really good books. And the books that I that that, that I would say get get connected with, the one I done fell in love with, the new one that I'm on right now, is called um, Letters to My Daughter by um, Lynn Tola. You know, Judge Lynn Tola. Yeah. Uh-huh. She has a book called Letters to My Daughter. It is an amazing book. It builds character. That book will, will definitely build character. Um, Stop Walking on Eggshells is talking about narcissistic behavior mm. and relationship disorders, you know, which is is what we need in our business. When you think, when you talk about business, you're, people are always talk about, talk about money. Oh, just money, money, money. Mm. No, you need to learn people and understand what it is that you're dealing with. The other book is called um, Buy Your Own Fucking Lilies. It is the most, yes, buy your own fucking lilies. <laughs> she I emphasized like the word. I like it. And I'm like, as you talk, yes. I got my phone and I'm writing it in my notes. Yes. yes. And then the last book is called Kick Ass by Mel Robbins Will Change Your Life. And get connected with these books, understand Google, and take a business class. That's all I'm asking. If you're interested in entrepreneurship, that's what you got to do. I agree because as an accountant, I see people all the time. I'm an accountant and a financial literacy coach. I see people all the time that have that that have amazing businesses but are clueless, and people are robbing them blind. Yeah, because they don't know to take care of their money and all they want to do is get it done and people just take it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time and you don't know it because you're looking at the big picture. Oh, I got this much money. But this person may be skimming a hundred dollars here, a fifty dollars there, two hundred dollars here. Yeah. You know it. Mm-hmm. You're wondering what happened to your money. Well you wasn't looking yeah. at it. You don't know how to look Mm-mm. at it. You don't know how to budget. Nope. You don't look at a bank account regularly. You you don't do none of that. Mm-hmm. People can have these businesses and don't do that. No, they don't. They don't because they because they just think that everybody's just going to be honest. And basically, you know, basically what they look at it at their business is like the person that they're hiring is they're paying them to do what they don't know. Mm. Right. right. 
you got to learn where your money is going. You got to understand where your money is going, what your money is doing and what you, and how much more money you need to make. That is the most important thing. And if you don't know how much money, how much more money you need to make to meet these quotas, you're going to find yourself at a deficit. You're going to find yourself in the red all the time. Absolutely. All the time. Seen it. I've seen it. Now, tell us, what's next for you? What could possibly Mm. be next? (laughs) (laughs) What's next for me? What's next for me is um, teaching, coaching, and consulting. Because over the past 30 years, yeah, teaching, coaching, and consulting. Because over the past 30 years, you know, I understand how, I understand, I know how how to make money, right? It has been a long road in learning how to keep money. Mm. It has been an extremely long road for me. Finally got my credit to where it needed to be. Finally started building capital in my savings account. Finally, I'm 50 years old. I've been doing this for 30 years. Finally, to that point, finally understanding how to use credit cards. And I'm like, I want to prevent any other entrepreneur from going from making all the mistakes that I've made. You know, it's no, it's no need to pay full price for something I already paid for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, let me allow you a discount, <laughs> you know, that's, that's on these correct. mistakes. Let that's me exactly allow you a discount. But you do that for people who, I, I always believe that people that you're around, your friends, your family members, they shouldn't, if you know something that they need to know, they shouldn't have to start from the bottom. I, I believe that, look, my shoulders, I don't mind at all. Now, don't, now, now be thankful and, and understand that, you know, you got to go then and help somebody else. But it's no reason for you right. to start from the bottom when I can help you. Right. And, and, I, and I tell people that all the time. And, and my father, and I got this from from my dad, my dad was like, can you please stop telling them people, telling your kids, oh, I grew up, you grew up like this and you grew up like that. You ain't have nothing to eat, going to sleep. You ain't this, you ain't that. Stop. They don't, they, first of all, they don't care. They don't care because you are not going to have them have those experiences. Right. So stop talking about how you grew up because they don't, these, them kids do not care and they're never going to experience that. Right. So get over it and come up with something else. Come up with something else to say. Because it ain't gonna happen. And and you know, the like these kids today, it's like the, the, the way we grew up and the things that we had to endure, our kids would never have to. It's you know? unimaginable. They don't understand it. Absolutely. And guess what? I don't want it to be imaginable for them. I really don't want it to be. So, you know, getting back to, you know, you don't have to start at the bottom. Why would you want your kids to start at the bottom? Say you know what the, the bottom look like. Yeah, and that's why we work to build generational wealth. Yeah, and then we, and then we, and then we got our knowledge is different. The things that we have to offer our kids right now is different. It's kind of like this. Our kids taught us, taught us what, we, what they knew. 
And now look at how much stuff we know. We got we got podcasts, we got websites, we got you know online stores. We got all this different stuff. Our kids don't have to start where we started at. Mm-hmm. It's That's no way. It's like fifty. We talk about fifty years of information. Look how much we've evolved in fifty years. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Right, you know. Well, this has been amazing, Rochelle. Tell us how we can people can tap into you or follow you. And I think I saw you posted you got some t-shirts for sale also. I do. Um, I'm a big deal. My I'm a big deal t- t-shirts. Actually, the link is in my bio um, on Instagram. My Instagram is Rochelle H. Mosley. And you can click the link tree in my bio to purchase t-shirts. You can purchase uh, health and wellness products. You can purchase my books. You can purchase my products. You can purchase, I mean, everything Rochelle Hunter Mosley is in my link tree in my bio on Instagram. Okay. All right. Well, we definitely have had a ball talking to you. We have. And going through your experiences with you. And and friends out there, if you need to get in touch with her, she's giving you all her information. Buy her t-shirts, buy some wellness products, check her books out. She has got a lot of wealth of information and experience. So go ahead and check Rochelle out. She's doing some great things. And we would like to say thank you for being a part of our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime. Have have me back again. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to be saying goodbye to Rochelle, but we're going to stay on and talk to you guys for a couple more minutes. We got a big surprise for you guys that we want to talk to you about. All right, Rochelle, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Okay, great. Take care. Later. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Yes. That was awesome. I, I love it when when we can go back and talk to people that we have went to school with and they are doing great things. That was awesome. I yes, loved it. another cougar. It really was. So what's, yes. what you got going on, Fee? What's so exciting that we need to share with our listeners? Well, listen, guys. I want to talk to you about an idea that me and Red have. We are going to have a no hose barred panel discussion. We're going to be talking to men and women. We're probably going to have about three women, three men try to make it equal. And we're going to be talking about relationships. Are we doing too much or not enough? Let's talk about that. Now, who doing too much and who doing not enough, Red? <laughs> we don't know. We're going to find out. But we're going to find out. We're going to find out. We're going to be asking some good questions, too. And listen, when I say no holes barred, it's no holes barred. These ladies and men are going to be asking each other the questions that they want to know. What is that piercing question that you have? And guess what, friends? You will be invited because we're going to be live. Yes, we're going to be live. We are going to be live. Yes, yes, yes. And you get to come on and answer questions. You get to come on and ask questions. We may be able to get one of those Google numbers and you call in or we read your questions. We don't care. We're celebrating. Our season is about to be over and we're going to celebrate and have a good time on this live. And we invite you to join us. It is going to be on May 15th. 
a good old Sunday evening at seven o'clock once you guys get all settled in, right, Red? Yes, all settled in and chilling and stuff. We're gonna have some good talk, some good conversations, and hopefully have some everybody have something to sip on too while we're talking. That's girl, I need to think about what I'm gonna sip on. Hmm. I need to think about that. But hopefully you get to learn something. You know, a lot of times we sit yes. back, we just we talk to each other, ladies. We talk to each other, but we need to sit back and listen to what these men gotta say because we can learn some things just by yes. listening. Yeah, they're gonna learn some things about us too. That's right. That's right. So, guys, May 15th, seven o'clock. We're going to get some information out there to you guys, more details, and we're going to go live and we want you to join in. So that was our special information and we are super excited. Yes, we are. This is going to be good. I'm excited to hear. You know, I'm married, so I'm just going to be listening and facilitating and moderating. You can still add a couple of words or two. I'm definitely going (laughs) to add some, um, you know, (laughs) yeah, I'm definitely going to add some stuff. Now, come on now. You're talking about me. You think I'm going to just sit there and be quiet? I need, I need you to bring in your song effects. <laughs> I need you to yes. find some songs to sing. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to have a funky good time. Wow, yes. <laughs> we're going to have a funky good time. Oh, and guess what we're going to be, Fee? We're going to be live. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, look, we are having a good time with this podcast. I'm telling you, our season is yeah. we're, we're going to check out at the um, end of May. We're going to give ourselves a little break. Our season will be over. We'll probably have about 16, 17 episodes that you can go back and, and listen to. And we'll be back probably June, at the end of June sometime. But we're going to come back with some more great stuff. Red has been sitting yes. back up some good episode titles and we gotta do some research and we're gonna come back we're gonna put it on you again for season two but we're not done yet so be prepared for this next episode it's gonna be live we got we got a couple coming out may 15th is gonna be live so make sure you're there all right red peace and blessings all right y'all we are headed out we are here to inspire her the total woman Yay.